Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am so thrilled today to be joined by entrepreneur, author, and activist, Vishen Lakiani. Vision continues to shake up the education system as one of the world's most significant learning reformers. And as the founder of Mind Valley, Vision's mission is to create a better system for educating humanity toward higher consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, and awareness. Vision, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Hi, Corey. It's nice to be on your show. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure to have you here. And um, as I mentioned to you before we got started, you know, I've been just in my research of you and your platform, I have become a fan and follower. And I just think what you're doing is is so incredible. So it's really definitely a pleasure to have you here. I will begin, though, by saying you have the most calm, soothing demeanor and presence. So I do find it kind of funny that you apparently were named after the Hindu god of destruction. Is that correct? <laughs> well, Vishnu, that- Vishnu, right? Vishnu would be the Hindu, Vishnu, the Hindu okay. god of preservation, the preserver. Um, I don't know much about oh. Hindu mythology, so I can't go any deeper than that. But, but the reason I have a calm voice is because, Corey, I started my career as a meditation instructor. I was in Silicon Valley. I went through a crazy period of burnout. This was about 20 years ago. I quit. I quit everything and I decided to just get qualified to teach meditation classes and try to earn a living. And uh, that's where that calm demeanor comes from. I had to use my voice to get people to relax for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can't have like, um, you know, too much of a volume and various various inflections if you're going to pursue that line of work. You've got to have a sleepy voice. This is my meditation voice. Yes. And let me just tell you how that almost just got me in trouble, by the way, because early this morning I had physical therapy and I said, okay, I'm not going to like, I'm going to take care of me before my interview. I'm still going to go take care of me. And I was listening to one of your episodes and it was one where you were talking about, oh, it was amazing. It was about the relaxation of the body to get into the meditative state and you begin to feel the skin on your body you begin to you know let the ligaments and you let go of all the, you know you know what i'm saying i want people to I'll, I'll i'll have people tune in to check it out for themselves and the voice was like right here and it's not the best scenario in traffic in jersey city new jersey probably because i was almost a bit <laughs> oh my god you were listening to this while driving yeah Are i didn't you know insane, you should have a disclaimer Corey. on that because it really works everyone just you know but maybe traffic is not no you you cannot <laughs> listen to me if you are if you're like operating a chainsaw an ak-15 or a a um an ar-15 or a car you you just cannot be listening to my voice in those scenarios any of those things right yeah. so now we have a disclaimer that that is not a wise thing to do but it's effective but not in traffic you don't want to do it in traffic but so your background too as growing up if i'm not if i'm not mistaken you you come from a background where your parents are both uh entrepreneurs and educators i think your mother was a school teacher i'm from malaysia so my mom was a public school teacher in malaysia my dad had a really small business and I came from a really humble background. I, I did not come from wealth. I did not come from a lot of money. Uh, my parents were 
you know, my, my mom worked for the government. They're both retired now. But it was the confluence of my mom and a teacher and the respect I had for her as an educator, as a teacher. She had to sometimes, I remember when the government stationed her in a school far away from home, she had to travel two hours back and forth in commute, right? Just, just to do her job. My dad, he worked in a department store. And then at one point he decided to just start his own business. And that's when my parents had enough money to take me out of the crappy school I was in. I was in a crappy mm. public school and put me into a, a, a proper school so I could get a proper education. And that gave me a second seed that influenced my life, which was entrepreneurship. Cause I realized teaching is a noble profession, but you know, most teachers, as amazing human beings as they are, they only get to make an impact on the 40 or 50 or 60 or so students they get to teach that particular year. So I combined teaching with entrepreneurship. And that, I guess, is what led to Mind Valley. I was given the perfect parents for my destiny. Amazing. Yes, because you become a, a, a sort of a combination of both attributes. You sort of bring all that forward exactly. into one place. And I did watch an amazing episode. I think it was so great of you on the podcast of um, Mayim Bialik. And it was great because speaking of the word entrepreneurship, you guys had a pretty funny exchange about that. But you know, you you were saying that entrepreneurship is not just, hey, I'm starting a business because it's almost like a buzzword. Everyone sort of just says it. But you know, for you, you were saying it's a state of mind. You can be an entrepreneur or you can also just apply an entrepreneurial mind to things you do on a daily basis. And I think that was a distinction. So what are your, what's your take on the term entrepreneurship? Okay. So let me put it this way. If I could teach these concepts to my child, okay. I started a project for, for young people. It's called Mind Valley University. And, uh, well, it's actually for people of all ages, but I started this, this summer school. It's three, three weeks for my own children, because I knew that what they were learning in regular school is not going to give them an edge in life. Calvin Coolidge in the 1920s is rumored to have said, education is designed to create wheels in the cogs of machinery. And education really doesn't teach you much more than being a cog in the wheel of machinery. And if you don't learn the stuff outside your schooling, you're going to be in for not the easiest life. And so the art of entrepreneurship is really the art of being alert and observant to opportunity, to be able to connect the dots, to be able to challenge the status quo, to look for instances where any part of life is suboptimal and then figure out how can I add value there in such a way where I can help earn a living. So for example, the first belief that I think people need, need to, to, to understand is that entrepreneurship has absolutely nothing to do with your education. If you think you have to graduate four years in college, go in debt to start a business, you are slowing yourself down and you're wasting a ton of opportunity. Just last week, I was interviewing a, a, a young man by the name of Elliot Bisnow. Elliot Bisnow started Summit Series. It's one of the biggest conferences in the world. And he is famous for acquiring Powder Mountain at the age of 28. He literally bought America's an entire mountain, and he turned it into a community, a, a co-living mm. community. So, but Elliot told me the story. He was in school when he was 21 years old, and he came from humble beginnings, and he thought you had to graduate college to be able to start a business. And something flipped his mind. He had a fellow college 
student that he met who was making money printing t-shirts. And he's like, what mom, dad, I can do that. I can actually make money without having a degree. And his parents are like, sure, why not? And it so happened that Elliot's father started a simple uh, newsletter business. This was maybe, you know, 15 years ago, back, back when email newsletters were popular. And Elliot's father brought in Elliot as a business partner and said, go and sell advertising, right? Simple email newsletter. Elliot and his dad saw an opportunity. There were real estate buyers, uh, investors in their city who needed knowledge of the buildings around them. So his father would write these beautiful newsletters about buildings and their history and who built them and the style. And then Elliot would sell ads. You know, is there a space available in this building? Elliot got so good at selling those ads that he sold a million dollars worth of ads. His father gave him, gave him 20%. At the age of 21, all of a sudden he was earning 200 grand in school. And he shared with me this moment where it all clicked. He was walking to a class and he says, I wasn't even in a good school. This was like just a regular school. He was walking to a class and around him was everyone else walking to that class. And all of a sudden he felt, I'm in a herd. Everyone is doing the same thing. And he turned around and he looked at the people walking towards the class and he realized, I don't want to be in this herd. I'm already making some money. And I know, yes, if I don't get this degree, I may fail, but I want to try it anyway. The worst thing is not trying. And so he quit college. Elliot went on to become one of the, the most brilliant entrepreneurs I've ever met. Today, as I said, he owns Powder Mountain. He owns Summit Series. Summit Series is this, one of the biggest entrepreneurial conferences in the world. But it started because of that level of thinking. You do not have to follow the status quo. The biggest thing that holds us down are the beliefs of the people around mm. us. Some of these beliefs come from culture. Some come from religion. Some are generational beliefs. You know, there's a, there's a saying I really love. Tradition is peer pressure from dead people. <laughs> What's going on is that so many of us are hooked into those beliefs, but Without questioning those beliefs, we fall into these traps. And to be an entrepreneur is to question, is to question the rules of society. They are good rules, rules that help us, you know, function, but they are also bullshit rules. I call these rules, the rules mm. of the world, the bullshit rules that actually hold you back. And when you question the bullshit rules, rules such as, do I really have to have two kids? Uh, and a garage? Do I really have to have a college degree? Do I really have to be a lawyer because my father was a lawyer? Do I really have to stay in the same city where I grew up in? Do I really have to stay in the same country? So there are all of these different rules that if you really start looking at them, many of them don't make sense. And that's what great entrepreneurs do. So in my case, I was in Silicon Valley. I was doing the Silicon Valley thing. I was an engineer with a computer engineering degree, trying to climb up the corporate ladder. I got burnt out and I'm like, why do I want to do this? I don't enjoy this. I'm getting burnt out. I'm waking up depressed. My health is shit. What was I really into? Well, I was into martial arts and meditation. So I decided, well, I, I want to teach one of those things. I happened to choose meditation because it was helping me with my stress. I became a meditation teacher. And from there, I started building and building and building and building and building. So this is the, the, the next rule. Entrepreneurs question the rules. They look at opportunities. And once they seize an opportunity, they focus like a laser on it and grow and grow and grow that opportunity. Entrepreneurs need the gift of vision. To be an entrepreneur is to be cursed 
with a fascinating disease. And that disease is to never be satisfied with the way things are. You can be grateful, you can be happy, but you can never be satisfied. As soon as you're satisfied, you stop mm. growing. So when I was teaching classes of 30 people, I was grateful that I had that opportunity to touch lives, but I wasn't satisfied. I wanted to teach a class of 60 people. When I was teaching classes of 60 people, I wasn't satisfied. I decided I wanted to create a festival and have 250 people join me in a beach in Costa Rica. So I did that. After I created that festival, I said 250 people is too small. I want to create an online website where I can teach 10,000 people at a time. And I kept asking those questions. The greatest gift entrepreneurs have is the curse of perpetual dissatisfaction. Mm. But that curse, if you have that curse becomes a gift, if you have the ability to apply vision, creative thinking, hard work, team building, recruiting, all of these other things that you can learn from multiple books, that's how you become a great mm. entrepreneur. That's amazing. So I know that, that that was a long answer to your question, but I, I just thought it would be worth sharing. No, thank you for sharing that. It's a fascinating answer because um, it's it's very layered. There's a lot there. And I think one component that we that we didn't expand on that's in there is there was one moment in there that can't be overlooked either. It's the moment when you asked yourself, am I happy with this, right? You said, yes. I'm waking up. I don't feel good. I'm, I'm depressed. I don't like this. What do I would like to do? And you said, well, I like martial arts and I like meditation. I think that a key component is something that I don't, I don't think people do enough. And when you follow that herd mentality, we go to high school, we graduate at 18. We go to college at 18 in most cases without even knowing who we are yet or what we like in the world. So I know for a fact that then kids go to college very often. And by 23, 24, 25, 26, they're burned out of this career that they didn't even really want to go into in the first place. So I've always taken the approach of like kind of promoting the idea of maybe not going right after high school, maybe getting out in the world and just spreading your wings a little bit, seeing what's out there before you become a phlebotomist and then hit your life for the next 40 years. Nothing wrong with drawing blood, but, you know, but yeah, I think that I see a lot of that early burnout because, because of the herd mentality. I'm, all my friends are going to college, so I need to go to, and you have no idea what the world is about and why you would even dedicate your whole life to a career you have not worked in yet. It's quite irrational, really, in many ways. Exactly. And I think one of the things we got to do, if I could change the education system, is give every college student a gap year. They do it in Britain. You you take a year off and you just travel the world and you explore and you meet new cultures and you expand your horizons. And it, it's not expensive. I did a gap summer when I was a, a student at the University of Michigan. I didn't have much money, but I basically backpacked across Europe. I bought a $400 mm -hmm. Eurorail <laughs> ticket. So for $400, I had unlimited right. trips all across Europe. I would sleep on a train. I would get in a train, sleep on the train, arrive in a city, put my backpack in a locker in the train station, circle around the city, exploring, meeting people, checking out museums, and then pick up my backpack at night, go back on the train, pick any destination that was eight hours long, once again, sleep on the train so I could save on hotel. And I got to see so much of the world through that way of living. And it did help me discover what I wanted to do. I was fascinated by the cultures and the people of the Balkans, the Balkan part of Europe. I had a camera with me, so I took photography and I ended up, it, that ended up lending me a job as a mm -hmm. photojournalist. That became one of my passions. So 
I think there are so many incredible things where self-directed learning matters. Taking a gap year, traveling, discovering your passions is one of the most important things you can do. Absolutely. And I do have to make sure I stress so I don't get in trouble. I mean, we're not <laughs> we're not uh, discouraging college by any means here. We're just saying there is an alternative potential route for people who may not want to follow that direct path right after high school to go to college. There are other options out there. And, you know, before we even get further, because I do, of course, want to talk about your current book about meditation, but staying on education for a moment, I think we need to sort of just give a little bit of a foundation before we move forward, because it's going to really make a difference in people understanding the conversation. Can you explain pre-rational thought versus trans-rational thought? And then I think from there, we can really sort of peel back a couple layers. Oh, Carl, you're, you're going into some really advanced topics. You're talking about the pre-trans policy by, uh, by Ken Wilber. Uh, you're talking about why certain people have difficulty believing or trusting spirituality. Do you really want to go there? Well, I know it's, I know it's complex. And the only reason why I think it sort of lays down a foundation is because I think we are asking people through meditation to somewhat embrace a spiritual level of existence in a way to really fully true, embrace it. True. And I just feel like, yeah, I know it, it does seem like that is a lot more advanced topic, but when it comes to the idea of being connected to a, a realm that's not necessarily the one you can see, I just think somehow that might uh, help people understand. But yeah. if you think it's you know too complex or if there is a, is there a light version of that explanation that might prepare people for well, basically, the pre-trans policy, and you can Google it in Wikipedia, is an idea suggested by Ken Wilber, which simply explains why some people don't trust concepts like meditation or intuition or energy healing. All of these have been actually validated by science. The number of studies on meditation now number 15,000, and it's growing at an exponential mm -hmm. rate. Intuition. There's a lot of studies that show that there is some intelligence that we are able of picking up beyond time and distance energy healing right whether it's th there is concepts like curly and photography that photograph the human era there's a uh, human aura there are so many different studies that show the mind's impact on healing yet people refuse to believe it and say it's not science and i remember having this debate with neil degrasse tyson right like he says no it, it doesn't exist well it does exist neil and I, the reason why neil can't see it and many people can't is because of some this concept called the pre-trans policy and here it is most people who exist in the the rational realm of consciousness so so there, there are different cultural levels of consciousness right now a level doesn't mean one is better than the other in fact in ken wilber's books of integral theory that's what he calls this he gives them colors so people at the blue level they typically are religious they believe in a truth or an idea about a god that came generations mm -hmm. back and that religion holds deep meaning for them people at the orange level are rational science based that's what you find in wall street that's what you find in silicon valley people at the green level don't like religion and they don't trust money but they love the environment. They love exploring spirituality. They are what we sometimes call tree huggers mm. or hippies. Now, each of these demographic groups find the other group to be, in Ken Wilber's words, goofy. If you're religious, 
you look at the other groups, the, the hippies and the Wall Street people, and you're like, the Wall Street people have no soul. And the hippies, they're just dirty and smelly and can't make any money. You know, every group has their myth about the other group. Right. But here's what tends to happen. People who are in the rational group, which is a growing segment of society because of science, because of Silicon Valley, all of which is amazing. They confuse the green group and the blue group. They look at the religious group and they, and they, they, they look at all of these, these spiritual ideas, which are called, which are pre-rational. Pre-rational spirituality is the burning bush. Pre-rational spirituality is that there's hell and there's a devil and it's going to, he's going to tempt right. you. And then there's what is called post-rational spirituality and post-rational spirituality is the aspect of being human that science is now studying. The idea of, of meditation, the idea of mind body healing, the idea of human intuition, uh, lucid dreams, all of these are transrational. But someone at the rational level clumps everything together and labels it all hokey, bullshit, or scam. Woo-woo, I think you called it, right? <laughs> Woo-woo, yeah. And this is where a problem happens because they now fail to look into the power of meditation. They fail to understand the impact their mind has on their body. They associate meditation with religious beliefs that may be more cultural. And so when you are awakened to that concept, you're able to differentiate between pre-rational and post-rational spirituality, between magical thinking, but actual spirituality that may have some substance within science. Right, right. There could be benefits, of course, that we are just not getting access to because people are just dispelling it as being just sort of fiction to begin with and they don't even ap apply it exactly yeah yeah and the fact that science doesn't know everything uh nasim haramin the physicist said spirituality is nothing more than physics we have yet to find an equation for mm. right right and we can't see it but it doesn't mean it's not there I, I, the very simple thing a friend said to me once well you can't see the air either but you clearly know it's there because you're breathing it, you're breathing it in and the reason why i definitely want and i appreciate you tapping into that because I, I think by asking people to really embrace meditative therapy, if you will, or just meditation as a practice, it requires some of the people who do not delve in that world to accept that there is something that you might not be able to see that can benefit your life. And I think that's a, a big question to, uh, or, or a big uh, mm -hmm. task for some of them. And also the reason why I brought it up too is because you mentioned how for some people it's sort of like this kind of woo woo thing where they're like, that's too out there for me. And then if I look at maybe decades ago with the sort of onslaught of the industry, if you will, of speakers and people who are healers and Reiki healers, there's a whole realm of them. Mm -hmm. But if I look at the advancement of someone like Esther Abraham Hicks, the project, uh, The Secret, that was a phenomenon because people were looking for it, even Tony Robbins to a degree, right? If I look at that decades ago till now, there is clearly a hunger from the public for that. Because at this point, these entities I just mentioned have huge followings. So what do you think will made that transition happen from you know, decades ago, the woo-woo, that's crazy, to actually now there's millions of people who follow this. I mean, you have millions of people following you who are hungry yeah. for this. So what made that transition, you think? Results. People who did it saw incredible results. 
And then science saw incredible results. So in the book, Altered Traits by Daniel Goleman, he shares a really fascinating graph. And it's a graph that shows the number of research studies on meditation. And it's crazy, Corey. It's an exponential curve starting in 2000 all the way up to 2020. An exponential curve. It's because people are talking about these results and science is measuring this and seeing that these results are real. Meditation improves your heart health. You can use it to improve your skin. It's changing the way even medicine works. Uh, for example, we mentioned skin earlier. There's a, there's a new field right now called psychodermatology, which is the impact the mind has, your mind and emotions has on your skin. We are finding that our, our minds influence so many aspects of our being. In 2013, the New York Times carried an article about a doctor called J.B. Mosley, who found that certain surgeries that doctors were performing on patients, such as knee surgery for arthritic pain, actually do not actually cause the healing. It is the belief that the surgery works that causes the healing. JB mostly took 10 patients from the Veterans Administration, uh, 10 men who were complaining of arthritic pain in the knee. He put all 10 of them under anesthesia. Two of them had the standard surgery. Eight just had, you know, a scalpel, like cut, cut slits in their knee, had it sewn up and bandaged. And at the end of that surgery, all 10 of them healed from knee arthritis. Mm. And so, that surgery has now been discredited. It was the human mind that was causing the healing. People are seeing results. Doctors, science are seeing results. That experiment I gave you is, was published in 2013 in the New York Times. That's less than a decade ago. And as these results are growing and growing and growing, it becomes inevitable that our mind, our spirit, our soul is taking a greater and greater place in helping us realize just what our lives are about and what our true human potential is. Thank you so much, Vision, for your time today. Again, this is wonderful. And especially for a college age audience, I think, you know, those young minds who really will benefit from sort of entering the world as they leave college uh, with some of this really new perspective that they can consider on their journey. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.